Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help you find your freedom in every aspect of your business. Captivity comes in many forms, from stale, ineffective sales and marketing tactics, to outdated technology and workflows, to teams who are performing far less than their true capabilities. On this show, you'll hear compelling conversations with your peers in the insurance industry, as well as from top-shelf professionals in related fields who are leading the charge towards what's coming next. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the show. This is another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Welcome to our guest in podcast land, as well as those watching on our YouTube channel. My guest for today is particularly interesting because I had the privilege of being in the audience when uh, Mr. Jim Harris was on stage back in Indianapolis for the Indie Tech Showcase. Uh, you guys remember we did a bunch of live episodes from the floor of the vendor hall there. And my word, Jim was dynamic. He was engaging. Uh, I, I see a lot of people on stage, uh, as you can imagine. And Jim is definitely there at the very top of the pack of people that I want to get on this show in front of you. Jim Harris, thanks so much for being here, man. James, I am so excited to be on the show. Now, you really brought the thunder. Uh, I think a lot of the conversation topics from stage, uh, from your favorite topic uh, recently, which is disruption and generative AI and all of the changing things of customer client expectations and all of that, I found that part just captivating. Uh, and, and then you are also a published author. I want to give you the opportunity to promote your book for those that may not be familiar with it. But uh, in this conversation, I think we'll skip the typical biography stuff. People can go to your website if they want. We'll put all that information in the show notes. I believe it's simply jimharris.com, right? That's exactly it. Excellent. Yeah, you're one of the lucky few that has their first name, last name, .com as the domain. I do as well, but I had to pay a lot of money for it. Uh, hopefully you had less to pay than I did. But the jimharris.com is a great place to go if you want more of this guy who is about to start giving us his, uh, his breakdown. Jim, at a, at a high level, start us off in whatever direction you want. You're a professional speaker. You're an author. You put out a lot of content. You're on the road a lot talking to a whole bunch of people. When we Before we started recording, you said your biggest gig uh, every year is the uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Showcase, uh, every year in January. And you shared that you were, uh, at the last year's go-around, you were the most popular individual account, not all the media accounts like Reuters and all of that, but you were the most listened to and engaged with individual account in the world. Millions of engagements, is that right? Yeah. So this is Twitter, but I'm also putting content out on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, but that's more a personal page. So you never know what's going to go viral at uh, any event. And so I recorded this little video with my Uber Tesla driver. Her name was Mary Elena, and it was seen 2.2 million times. And it's just a little 65 second video where I'm interviewing her saying, how much are you saving a week? And she's saving uh, more than $20,000 a year on gas and maintenance for her vehicle. Wow. So here's the insight. If you have a high-use vehicle, like an Uber or a Lyft or a salesperson for an organization, they should be in an EV because the operating costs, the operating savings are greater than the capital cost of the vehicle after two and a half, three years. So this was just a tiny little thing, and you never know what's going to go viral. So my account uh, was the most influential personal account in the world out of the 100,000 people who attended. And I'm always looking at how is technology intersecting with trends and culture of organizations. And, you know, some of this is about tech, but some isn't. For instance... If I go to Amazon and I'm able to buy something that arrives to my door within 24 hours, do I take that expectation with me 
to the insurance industry? Absolutely. In other words, I shouldn't, if I'm in insurance, I shouldn't be benchmarking just against other brokers or the industry. I need to benchmark against customer expectations, which may be determined by a company like Amazon. So part of this is about tech, but part is about culture, training, education, and how customers expect to be served. And disruption is a sexy word. A lot of people like to throw it around. Oh, I'm a market disruptor. It's like, what does that mean to you? When you think about the topic of disruption, it's literally on the magazine cover behind you. And you handed me a copy of that in Indianapolis. And I read every page of it. And very interesting there. Uh, it's, It's a great handout. Uh, I don't know who did that for you, but that was money very well spent, very on brand from what I can tell. What what does disruption mean to you? So if you look at this, this article is actually on my website. It looks at how autonomous vehicles will disrupt dozens of different industries Mm -hmm. and the the secondary and tertiary consequences of disruption. Um, So for instance, if you're in New York City, it takes... uh, 10 minutes on average to get to uh, an emergency department. If you're having a stroke or a heart attack, minutes matter. But if you take an Uber, it takes you 2.4 minutes. So there's a concept of Uberlance, like an ambulance, but it's Mm. Uber. You catch an Uber as you're having your heart attack and say, get me to the emergency. And you, you, you know, first off, it's cheaper than an ambulance, but you're going to get there four times as fast. Mm. So um, for this for this uh, magazine, it's a collection of a dozen different articles, and you can get it on the website. They sent a photographer to my office to pick 300 photos of me, James, and this is the one they picked. Yeah. Like, I'm I, not going to lie. You look a little bit like a vampire. Yeah, I look a kind like of you, evil or you, demonic. You, you've got yeah. this mysterious like Bond villain thing going on with your face. I don't know what's that. <laughs> That's the picture they chose, huh? Yeah, I, I think my time as a model on the runways of Milan and Paris is like yeah. over. Did they tell you to blue began. steel that thing and give your most intense stare? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. Ben so, Stiller would be proud. Here's the thing. Uh, right now, Uber is worth more than every taxi cab company in North America combined. Yeah. So the taxi industry owns billions of dollars of assets in the form of limousines and cars. Mm-hmm. Uber doesn't own a single vehicle. So this tells me that a widely distributed app and focus on business model innovation as opposed to product innovation. Yep. Uh, can actually entirely disrupt an industry. And this is what I focus on. Um, You know, Amazon is worth more than uh, Walmart, Best Buy, you know, Kohl's. uh, The next several retailers combined. I remember that. eight retailers combined. And then you combine them, you multiply by two and a half, and they're still worth less than Amazon. So if you don't think that online shopping is going to change the retail industry, like that graphic is for you. And during the first 90 days of the pandemic, we had 10 years of e-commerce growth in 90 days, Mm. 10 years. So the pandemic has turbocharged digital transformation. So the question becomes... How quickly is your organization embracing these new technologies like AI, generative AI, and meeting customer expectations that are often set by other companies and other industries? You bring up an excellent point. And before we dig into that, I'd love to get your take on the challenge that a lot of these companies have faced, including Amazon and their partnership with Next Insurance for small business, uh, including Google with their failed attempt at personal auto insurance, and other carriers that are very digitally focused, like Root and Lemonade and, and similar players in the insurance industry, whose new business numbers are stunning. They're fantastic, but they're not profitable, and they have a huge problem with retention of keeping those customers after the initial sales cycle. What's your take on 
how independent insurance agents can have a tremendous systemic advantage over some of these purely digital, very well-funded, very innovative companies who seem to be great at new business and terrible at keeping their business. So one of the principles that allows disruption to happen is experimentation at the edge. So uh, I can't comment on uh, Google's entry into the insurance market or attempt to enter into it. I have interviewed the principles of Lemonade uh, back in 2017, and I was very excited about that as a case study. I wrote a uh, 2,000-word feature article, which is in this magazine here. Yep. Um, So experimentation is absolutely key to disrupting markets. We really don't know what will and won't work until we test tinker and toy and experiment with it. So what these companies are very good at doing is running a lot of experiments. So uh, for instance, I was just in Phoenix uh, working with an audience uh, two months ago. And if you go to Phoenix, you will see taxis running around with no driver. Okay. Now, I've been talking about autonomous vehicles for about 10 years, and people have told me that will never happen. Never. Like, they say it point blank to my face. Oh, it's happening. With with such conviction, too. That will never happen. So there's a saying, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So if you go to Phoenix, Arizona, you will see these Waymo taxis running around with no driver behind the wheel. And it's kind of freaky. So the future is here. It's just not in New York City or Kansas yet, but it is in Phoenix. And so we have to really be very good at scanning the horizon to understand what is coming down the road, literally, to a town near us. So we may not have driverless vehicles right now in our city, but they are here right now. This isn't imaginary. It's actual. There's this amazing thing, James. It's called the Google. Like, use the Google and you'll Google Phoenix and Waymo and you'll see actual video of this stuff. It's mind-blowing. So we have to, if we're going to lead a company and we want to be cutting edge in our industry, we have to understand how these future trends, which may not be in our city yet, but exist are going to impact us. So 94% of accidents that we have uh, in driving cars are due to driver error. And uh, 2.5 million people are maimed every year in North America, permanently damaged uh, due to this, and 45,000 are killed. So the great news is when we have autonomous vehicles, like by 2030, I predict you will not be able to buy a new car that doesn't have autonomous features. Think about all the lives that will be saved. That's the great news. But if you're in the PNC market and you're selling auto insurance, you're going to witness a $500 billion a year market globally evaporate. So what are you doing to prepare for that? Yep. And people might argue with me on the timeline, Jim, you're being overly aggressive or whatever. Okay, but the trend is on the table. We can see it in Phoenix. We can see the impact of 94% of car accidents are due to driver error. There's no more drunk driving. Mothers against drunk driving are going to love this, right? There's, there's no more sleeping, falling asleep at the wheel. Like, think of all the consequences. Uh, there's no more, you know, truck drivers who've been driving for far too long past the regulatory number of hours having accidents because they're tired. You know, there are so many benefits to this new technology. So we're going to see it transform the $10 trillion a year transportation industry. It's inevitable. I'm all for it. And I agree it is inevitable. I I also agree uh, your timeline may be a little bit aggressive, but hey, I would rather err on the side of aggression when planning for this stuff. You know, before we jump into the generative AI stuff, I, I, I want to have one little follow-up question here. Obviously, nobody listening to this podcast 
is in the C-suite of Amazon or Microsoft or Google or Oracle or whatever these other many billions of dollars tech companies, we all have limited resources. We all have to pick our spots where we want to invest in innovation and focus on driving this kind of micro disruption if you want to allow that to be a thing. How do you recommend people listening to Agency Freedom Podcast begin to wrap their arms around the concept of, and perhaps not even begin, but that's already well down the road, of disrupting in their markets, in their geographies, for their client profile. What's the best way to start doing this on a small scale? How does someone who says, you know what, I really want to disrupt my small little ecosystem, how do you suggest they start doing that? So that's a great question. So did you, uh, were you there at Indie Tech for CJ's presentation? Yeah, CJ Hudson Pillar from Nashville. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, isn't he great? C CJ literally uh, blew me away. So for those who don't know him, he uses Zapier to automate processes. So he's automated a process, for instance, uh, if you want to get life insurance at 4 a.m., you can go to his website and you key in your age, your total income, your total assets, the number of dependents, your value of your house, how much uh, you have on your mortgage. And then he will take all that and using ChatGPT, go out and say, given all these parameters and the two dependents, how much life insurance should this individual cover or, cover, or carry? It comes back with an answer. He then takes that along with all the information he collected in the initial form and puts it out to the most tech forward uh, life insurance broker and gets instantly 10 quotes back. And then he takes the lowest priced one and then he has ChatGPT write a selling email like, here's why you should deal with our agency. Here's our customer service track record. Here's how much life we suggest that you carry. And here are the monthly premiums. And if you want to bind, click here. So four in the morning, I've keyed in this data. And literally three seconds later in my inbox is a stunningly beautiful selling email as to why I should deal with CJ's uh, agency. Yeah. Now, that blows me away. He's using Zapier, which uses OpenAI APIs to work between dis different systems and make them communicate. CJ is a tinkerer. And what he's doing is profoundly increasing both the speed at which a customer can get a quote and bind. Yep. And he's becoming way more efficient. And one of the things he pointed out blew me away is that he also does PNC. So, you know, people come to him for home insurance and 85% of the quotes that they give are people tire kicking. They haven't actually bought a home, but they want to know all their expenses before they pull the trigger on the purchase. So how much is it going to cost me to move and how much is insurance going to be? And what's the standard amount I should allocate for repairs and electricity and, you know, everything. So 85% of the quotes that his staff used to have to prepare never transacted. They were tire kicking in essence. What is the value to an agency if you can eliminate 85% of tire kicking and your staff are now only dealing with the 15% who actually bind? What's that in terms of a productivity gain? So yeah. when you're asking me, what can we do? We're these, uh, you know, small independent agencies. There is a hell of a lot that you can do. And don't focus on the big things. What can we actually practically do that will paradoxically increase value from our customer? Because they can get an instant quote on life at four in the morning. And at the same time, dramatically lower our cost of business and dramatically increase the success rate of what our staff actually spend time doing because they're going to bind a lot more policies if they're only focused on the 15%. And have much more meaningful engagement and interaction you know, with, yeah. their, with their customers and, and clients and prospects. So even the ones that don't bind are going to be having more 
impactful interactions from the beginning. Exactly. And if I go to two brokerages and one brokerage at four in the morning returns to me uh, an amazing quote and the other takes three weeks to get back to me, who are you going to deal with? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not even close. One of the things that we started doing earlier this year is utilizing ChatGPT for routine email communication and starting to save a, a library of templates for different use cases and you know pretty specific use cases sometimes. Hey, telling ChatGPT for prompting, for instance, uh, write me a, an email alerting an insurance customer about a pending cancellation for non-payment. I mean, two sentences of prompt in ChatGPT, copy, paste, send, rather than taking valuable time trying to craft an email, you literally just save, what, two or three minutes of typing on an email? So it's just little things like that. We started, man, about six months ago, we started doing that. But we're not nearly as sophisticated as, as CJ. And for anybody who doesn't know CJ Hudson Bill, I was with him in Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, New Orleans, literally 36 hours ago at a, at a Vertifor and NetView event. CJ has got to be one of the sneakiest, smart, <laughs> amazing people because he's one of the most unassuming, generic looking person at a casual glance. You know, he, he's got a, a long haircut, he's average height, average build, doesn't look like anything at a casual glance. But then the moment he starts talking, you're like, wait a second, this guy understands exactly where the pulse is. He, he gets it. And I, I think he's very intentional about playing up the whole, aw shucks, I'm just a Southern boy. I'm not that big of a deal. And then, <laughs> then you're like, wait, wait a second. Yes, you are. Now, I, I absolutely love it when people in our industry demonstrate such capacity for incredible ideas and, and implementing those ideas. He's not just thinking about it, he's doing it. I've, I've got a lot of respect for that guy. I'm glad you brought him up. Well, I haven't actually seen it, but from the stage when he was keynoting, he said, look, on my website, I have a bunch of templates. So if you're interested in seeing what these zaps are that I've created, you can go download them. And, uh, you know, there's a course I've created if you want to take it. Um, so... I would, if I were in insurance and I was a broker, I'd be hoovering up every single thing that CJ has put out there yep. and making sure my technical people knew about it. You see, one of the things that's interesting, you were saying, how do we compete against the Googles, you know, the IBMs, the whatever? These large organizations are often very slow to implement the latest cutting edge technology. But CJ's implementing it right now. So I actually think that tech forward, visionary organizations, if they're even if they're small, can far outperform the large organizations. And CJ is a great case in point. Now, I definitely agree. Hope he enjoys his moment in the spotlight there. <laughs> I, I I don't know if he even listens to this podcast, but there you go, CJ. You've got a fan over here with Gemini. Well done, man. Keep it up. Well, send him, send him the link to the podcast once it's posted in January. I'm telling you. Yeah, I definitely will. That's a great idea. You know, switching here, just awkwardly, because there's really no transition. We've been talking around generative AI. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time thinking about it, processing through how to make sense of it all. I don't know if there is a more prevalent buzzword in 2023. And I don't think it's going anywhere. In the next year or two, generative AI is definitely going to be on the forefront of everyone's attention as you know these technology platforms become more and more commonplace and the barrier to entry gets lower and lower. So smaller, less sophisticated organizations now have access to something that, you know, just two or three years ago was limited to very large companies and enterprise level uh, operators. So when you think about generative AI in, in the context of disruption, as we've been talking about here, what, what's your take on it? Where do we go from here? Like, are we, in, are we in close to a Skynet inflection point? 
Well, Skynet's very dark. That's like Terminator, James oh, yeah. Cameron's movie. Are they coming to kill us all when they get yeah, to a yeah. certain level of sentience? Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So I, uh, and I understand how Hollywood works and something that's dystopian is going to get a lot of play. So I have a client. It's a $100 million a year IT company. They respond to government RFPs. They have a team of six people that takes a day and a half on average to craft their response to a government RFP. If you're using ChatGPT4, which means you're the paid subscription and by paid yep. a whole 20 bucks a month, yep. uh, you can upload documents like a 60-page a, a government uh, request for proposal and say to GPT, summarize the top dozen points that you feel should really be punched out to win this RFP. And it will instantly read your 60 pages and spit back to you what those dozen points are. And then you can say, generate a response that, you know, from experience would win this RFP. And it'll do that for you in another whole second. And rather than spend six days to craft the final thing, you have a starting point that's 80% of the way there. And your team can now polish it and enhance it and think about new ways and do what if scenarios using GPT and other tools, whether it's BARD or, you know, Microsoft Bing. And boom, you can, what is it worth to take your RFP team and double their output per year? What does that mean in terms of top line sales? Like their initial goal that I worked with this firm was to cut it in half. And I can see it eventually getting cut by 80 or 90% at the time. So if you cut it by 90%, you're increasing your sales capacity by 10x. What's that worth to a company? And is that going to help it accelerate growth? So I don't look at the Skynet dark side. I look at what is the upside of this technology? How how can we use it? So Spotify, we're, we're talking about podcasts here. Spotify just announced they're going to take generative AI and turn the most popular uh, podcasts into dozens of different languages. So I can take something like what we're doing today, and I can run it through a generative AI system. And I did this for the first time seven weeks ago for an audience on the West Coast. So I talked for 30 seconds. I said, every single day, there are mind-blowing new applications that are coming out from ChatGPT, AI, generative AI, that are going to transform business, government, and the way society works. And then I advance the slide, and you see exactly the same thing, but I'm now speaking Mandarin, Chinese. And in the audience was a woman who was a native Mandarin speaker. And she said, your Mandarin was perfect. And like my mouth is moving and I'm talking, but I don't speak any Mandarin other than to say she she, which is thank you. And then the next slide was the same thing, but now in German, 30 seconds of perfect German. And there was a German speaker in the audience. And she said, your German was perfect. The trans your translation was perfect, but I don't speak any German. So what's the impact of Spotify taking this podcast that we're having right now and translating it into two dozen languages and you getting all sorts of fans following you from Czechoslovakia and uh, Italy and Namibia and 
you know, boom. Like, yep. what are the implications for sales and marketing? What are the implications for FAQs? What are the implications for hiring people in different ethnic communities? Like the number one language spoken in the U.S. other than English, obviously, is Spanish. But imagine having every single word of this podcast in Spanish to reach that market. What are the tools that somebody in a brokerage could be using right now to reach markets they've never got into? And that'll help you recruit on staff more Spanish speakers. That will help you reach more markets. Boom. Man, I love it. That, that, is, that is an angle I was not expecting. Well played there. You know, when <laughs> I, I love it. it, that is my favorite part about this podcast and why I still am doing it after 140 something episodes it is because of moments like that where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take that note down myself. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that angle. Well done. When, when we, we look at things like what you just said, insurance is historically very slow to adopt, very slow to innovate. Well, it's a lot easier for disruption to happen for folks that are willing to step in and just, like you said, experiment. What is the tipping point? What do you think it's going to take for these oligarchs, these giant stakeholders in our industry, namely, you know, carriers and reinsurance companies and the folks that are, you know, the backbone of, of what we do, um, Vertifor and Applied and Zywave uh, all were on stage uh, at uh, Inditech, uh, where you and I met. And I, I'm fairly close with a few key stakeholders at Vertifor, and I asked them, uh, in particular, like a pro one of their products is Reference Connect at Vertifor. And it is a phenomenal database, great searchable content from a bunch of different locations from policy forms to endorsements to coverage to the way that carriers operate and MGAs and everything. It, as a, a referencing query kind of platform, I don't know if there's anything else like it in the industry. I find it to be terribly interesting. But the idea of feeding Reference Connect to a generative AI platform. I am I'm really curious about that. And I brought it up to f people at Vertifor and they're like, yeah, we've thought about it. You know, we're definitely you know, tinkering around with some things regarding AI and RefCon as they call it. We, we haven't done anything with it yet. There's other things we're doing first. And I'm just like, man, somebody, I don't have time for it, but somebody, is going to figure out how to take something like Reference Connect, a, a, a database type of product that's already housing so much information. Someone's going to figure out how to pair that with a generative AI and, and supercharge a company to do things that none of their competition is, is doing so their competition can't compete anymore. It's wild to think about. So I like to think about, uh, we often think about disruption as one big thing. But if your agency is improving 1% every single day, over the course of a year, you've improved 365%, which means you're really a completely different company every year. Yep. So I don't want to talk only about disruption. I want to talk about uh, persistent, relentless, incremental improvement as well. Yep. And so if I'm taking ChatGPT to, uh, if I'm using Zapier, like CJ is, to automate quotes, that's having a big impact just on its own. But then if we're using AI for templates and selling, that's huge. If there's some off-the-shelf tool that we can begin using that's going to run through our huge data lake of data on whatever platform we have and start making correlations. Like what's the average age that we have children today? What would be an indicator of when we might have children? Uh, well, hey, you get married. Chances are you might have a child, like you're, the chance of having a child increases exponentially if you get married. Well, shouldn't we have a drip stream of marketing about, uh, you know, education saving products or 
life products? Like what's your propensity to buy life? Does it change with some life instance? Well, once I have a child, I may decide I need to have life insurance. Well, wouldn't it be a good thing to predictively say, why don't we reach out to everybody who's been married in the last year? And how do we use different data sets to predict when somebody's going to have an insurance need before they think, yeah, I have an insurance need? Like, how do we increase that? So, uh, you know, whether we're using Facebook marketing with change of status from single to engaged to married or celebration of the birth of a child or what are the life instances and how do we get at them and how do we begin to think systemically? How do we use AI? So some of these things we might think are complex. Others are not. I was working with a tiny little insurance brokerage. I wasn't working with them. I, I should correct this. I was on stage with them for a big insurance uh, tech conference. And, you know, you think, oh, AI, I'm just a little brokerage. What can I do about AI? But they'd gone out to the local community college and hired an intern for an internship who came into their organization. You know, this is somebody who's at a community college who's focused on tech and AI, and boom, they begin putting them to work. And he dives into all the uh, all the data. And, you know, some of this stuff, it's it's pretty obvious, but um, come on in, say hello. No, hello. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. No, no, Jennifer on my team is uh, is in office this week. She usually works remote in Austin, but she's up here. Fantastic. So shout out to Jen on the podcast. Hope Woo-hoo! hope you enjoyed that. She hates the shout outs, by the way. So I love embarrassing her. <laughs> so no, sorry. Carry on. So the small this, brokerage. This this AI intern basically studies all their data, the call patterns. And you know what? The largest, like some of this stuff is obvious. Why did it take an AI data scientist to come in and tell us this? Overwhelmingly, the largest time slot for calling into the agency is between noon and 1 p.m. It's when people have their lunch hour. And when was nobody answering the phones? Between noon and 1 p.m. So they just made a policy change. Nobody can take their lunch between noon and 1 p.m. Like, this is how to improve customer service. You don't have to have, like, rocket science. It's like, how do we make simple improvements to our processes to be more customer-centric? Now, you can then take uh, something and you can say, okay, a large segment of our customers in the business insurance are contractors. So. Let's look at this. The majority of them have less than five trucks and less than 10 people. So why don't we create a cookie cutter liability package that we don't have to go out to the underwriters each time. It carries two million of liability. It covers up to, you know, five trucks and up to 10 people. And you pay this premium and we can break it down by month and boom. And now, rather than all this wheel spinning on actually creating these unique quotes for this thing we do over and over and over again, we just have a cookie cutter, you know, contractor insurance package. So, you know, why does it take this kid coming in to say, well, you know, 20% of all your policies are contractors and they're pretty much 90% under five trucks and 10 people. So, why don't we do this? You know, this is not about AI. It's about looking at data and saying, okay, how do I make sense of this data? And how do I actually get some value out of this? So then you go out to your 10 carriers that you work with and say, here's what I want to do. Can you do this? And you figure out which one can do it and which one can do it best. And then you say, okay, I'm going to start representing you aggressively to this market. I love that approach of t- one, taking the intern, making the intern do the grunt work on the data. That's fantastic. Because most agency principals, you start talking about that kind of specific project type of work and their immediate response is, I don't have time for that. I'm busy with X. It's like, okay, well, activity qualifiers in chapter eight of my book. You're going to have to figure it out. Are you going to terminate it? Is this a, a valid pro- activity that we should be doing as an office? 
Okay, well, if it is, continue. And then automate, is this something that we can automate? Is this an activity that a machine can do as well as a human without, wait for it, a discernible drop in quality? And then if it's not something that can be automated, can it be delegated or does the agency principal have to do it? Is it something that their expertise, their life experience, advanced training, whatever is required? Most things can be delegated. And only after those three filters are passed, terminate, automate, delegate, does the executive have permission to do it themselves. Otherwise, it should be terminated, it should be automated, or it should be delegated. So I I love your process there. And and for everybody out there thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do any of these great ideas, these implement these things that, that Jim is talking about? Well, activity qualifiers might just free up some of your time. The activity blocking from chapter three paired with the activity qualifiers in chapter eight, what do you know? You might have some extra time laying around then. So I'd say take these systems one at a time. So don't try to do everything all at once. So start with one system that you feel is going to generate the biggest ROI in either time or increased sales or better efficiency. You know, you figure it out and do it. and then. Because it takes us actual time to train people, for people to tinker with something that hasn't been done before, to get used to it, right? To replicate it, to train other people to use it, to create the incentive structure in the organization around it, right? So once that one is going, then what's the second system we're going to implement that's going to improve our organizational performance? And just have this notion of it's going to be ongoing. And once we digest one, we're going to focus on the next one. Yeah, I, I think you're right on target there, my man. I, I promised you a 40 minutes or so conversation. That's right where we're at. I know you've got a lot going on in your world. As we land the plane, is there anything we haven't talked about that's burning in your ears that you want to get after it before we wrap up this conversation? Uh, there is so much, but... Here's one I want to throw out. I don't know if you saw the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Deeply troubling movie there. Yeah, yeah. That is is a wild movie. So uh, he falls in love with an operating system, an OS, right? Like you have on your computer or your cell phone. And you think that is way too futuristic. That would never happen. Well, in the movie... It's Scarlett Johansson's voice as the OS. So I get it. Maybe that's why it happens. But you think there is no way that would ever happen today. Well, there's a young influencer on Snapchat called Karen Marjorie. And her team went and took to her 2,000 hours of YouTube video and every social media post. And they fed it into a developer license of ChatGPT. And they created Karen.ai, the virtual girlfriend. And then they rolled it out to uh, beta for a thousand users. And right now, her run rate is five million a year. So Karen is making five million a year at a dollar a minute because you can talk to Karen AI, the virtual girlfriend, for a dollar a minute. Her run rate is five million a year. So if you think that her is too far advanced, too futuristic. Karen AI proves otherwise. So what is the implication for business though? Imagine having a a chatbot that is so human-like, people think it's actually a person on your staff that knows people's birthdays, that knows people's anniversaries, that knows when their last payment was received, that can leave them voicemails, that they're delinquent in payment of their policy, and that if they miss another pavement, it's going to go into suspension and it's you know going to be a serious problem because as a contractor, you can't operate if you don't have liability. And, you know, boom, like somebody on our staff working 24-365 that people think is a real person and can have an emotional relationship with our customer. If you think that's futuristic, dig into her and to Karen.ai. The future is here. It's are we embracing it? And are we thinking about this? Like if we are truly mission driven to serve our customers in the best way possible, 
CJ's doing it at four in the morning because that's when I figure I accepted this new job. It starts tomorrow morning. It's in construction. I could get killed tomorrow morning, first day on the job. I want to bind life at four in the morning. CJ's the only one who can do it. Well, let's, that's actually great customer service. So, you know, we think, oh, you're cheating the client. It's not personalized. Hey, I want to be served at four in the morning. That's what's most important to me because I start my job at 9 a.m. And I've left this to the last minute, as we often do. So, you know, what is customer service is, is not necessarily what we think it is. When I think about immediate application, that sort of, of use case that you just described is one of the most interesting because it's one of the most accessible. I'm fond of a platform. We haven't implemented it yet. I'm still researching and trying to figure it out. It's called wonderchat.ai. And it uses chat GPT behind the scenes, but you can feed it stuff and stick it on your website and tell it what kind of personality you want it to have. Do you want it to be witty and sarcastic? You know, do you want it to be the most polite and genteel Southern gentleman? You know, all of those things. But then you can feed it as much information as you want, obviously with certain APIs and limitations with existing technology. Of course, they apply, unfortunately. I imagine our friends over at RES Analytics or someone like them has figured out how to plug in this sort of generative AI directly into the data stream from an agency management system to pull in all of the things you just talked about. I don't have the capacity at RiskWell to do that, but I guarantee you certain people in our industry uh, do already and have probably already done that at the retail agent level. And that's both exciting and terrifying to think about because as you listen to this podcast, if you're not doing something with AI, if you're not tinkering, if you're not exploring, in some way, you're already well behind the curve. And I'm not the first one to say this. I'm quoting several people when I say this. And you know, the question's often been asked, is AI going to replace the independent insurance agent? And I will say, definitive, no, it's definitely not. But if you're not using AI in some form or fashion, you will be replaced by someone who is. So what I want to say about that, James, I agree with you 100%. Um, there's the Pareto analysis. Pareto was an Italian mathematician. He created the 80-20 rule. 20% of your customers of your current business are generating 80% of your profit. Now, that sounds mind-blowing. But in fact, there's a banking study that shows 27% of customers who deal with banks generate more than 100% of their profit. And then the middle group, let's say 60%, are marginally profitable to profitable. And the bottom 20% are losing you money. So we need to automate our processes for the second and third groups so that our staff can spend 80% of their time with the 20% of customers who generate 80% of our top line and bottom line sales. Like we need to slather customer service and handholding and uh, anticipation and personalized service onto that group. And we need to automate the other two groups. And then for the final group that's losing us money, we need to look at the lifetime value of the customer and say, for instance, is this customer going to generate revenue sooner or later? For instance, is it a grandson or granddaughter? of somebody who gives us 15 million a premium a year and they're going to inherit the business, right? So we need to service them right now, even though they're unprofitable because they have redeeming value. But if they don't have any redeeming value in our ecosystem, we should give them the business card of our most ferocious competitor and say, you know, I've talked to this group they're going to deal with your insurance needs and so i want i think they could deal with you better than we can and and let somebody else go broke servicing them right so we need to segment and study the revenue and profit of each of those three segments automate the last two slather service on the top one and are we actually doing that and so this ai and automation 
is very important to the third segment and even to the second segment. That is about as tactical as you can possibly get. Uh, Folks, if you haven't received actionable information uh, in this episode, then I can only conclude that you were at best halfway paying attention. So man, Jim Harris, fantastic episode here. As we look forward to 2024, as I expect that this episode will drop the first Friday of 2024, uh, very exciting to kick things off with you uh, in this hour gosh, fourth calendar year at that point, 21, 2, 3, and 4 at that point. So way to get started with 24, man. Really appreciate uh, you coming on today. Folks, if you want to get more Jim Harris in your life, the best way to do that is connect with him at his website, jimharris.com. Twitter is one of his preferred platforms as well as he's pretty active on LinkedIn too. I refuse to call it X, by the way. I'm calling it Twitter. That's what it is. I'm not calling it X. Sorry, Elon. I know you want us to. It's not a thing. It's not going to happen. It's Twitter. I don't know why you did the X thing. Find him on Twitter or LinkedIn or JimHarris.com. Jim, any last words here? Are we good to go? This has been super fun, and uh, I look forward to connecting with people. If you need someone to speak at a conference or seminar, that's what I do all around the world please reach out to me and I can send you some videos for your program committee to make a decision. Fantastic. Yeah, go ahead and hire him. I've, I've been in the audience once now and I, I can say it was, uh, it was a great presentation. I'll gladly sit through another Jim Harris presentation. There's a lot there. And this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Those subs and reviews are actually super important for our reach to new listeners. Get your copy of my book, Leaving Captivity, on Amazon or Audible for the audiobook version. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your thoughts, questions, ideas, and general feedback to us at podcast at jamesjenkins.com. Agency Freedom is produced and distributed by podsquad.fm. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Until next time, let's go.